Hey everybody, welcome to the Extra Point. I'm Raven X, and alongside me, as always, is Biggie, aka Ethan Tate, aka pretty much who at this point might as well be a Memphis Grizzlies season ticket holder. How you doing today, Ethan? I'm good, and I might as well be. I am really trying to consider finding a way to get season tickets for next season. I don't know how that's going to work with a child on the way, but. It, it's possible I will figure it out. I'm sure you will. And, I mean, of course, the baby's going to be a Grizzlies fan, too. So, I mean, it'll be get her started early. Now, the Titans thing, we can probably work on her not being a Titans fan. But I'll let the Grizzlies one slide. At least y'all got a job. But, all right, we got a cool show for you guys today. Of course, speaking of your Titans, we are going to talk their upcoming matchup this weekend and the other divisional round matchups and, of course, give our predictions for that. We are going to talk about the collapse of the Dallas Cowboys and determine if they really are still them boys. We're going to move on to the NBA and talk about the kind of extensive injury list from Dane to KD to Draymond. Where do their respective teams go from here? And then we're going to close out the show talking Dwayne Wade's latest comments about the about the thoughts of Michael Jordan being the GOAT dying out. But before we get to any of that, please be sure to check out the xreport.net. I repeat, the xreport.net for exclusive sports content written by yours truly and fellow xreport writers. Previous episodes of our lovely podcast and our YouTube channel entitled The X Report. We're going to jump right into the action, so we're going to skip that college football playoff spotlight. And we're going to take a look back at wild card weekend, starting off with the Las Vegas Raiders losing to the Cincinnati Bengals 26-19. The Buffalo Bills embarrassing the New England Patriots 47-17. Tampa Bay Buccaneers defeating the Eagles 31-15. San Francisco 49ers outlasting the Cowboys 23-17. The Chiefs send, finally send the Steelers home packing 42-21. to In Monday Night Football, the Rams embarrassed the Cardinals 34-11. to On the weekend, you and I, we only missed one game, which was that Bills game. Other than that, we did pretty good with 5-1. So, Ethan, what were your top three takeaways from this past week of action? Top three takeaways are, um, number one, Jamar and Joe Burrow are, I think it's going to be a household combination for a very long time, including playoffs. Like, I can see them getting starting, having a point where they start a multitude of playoff bursts. Number three, I think that I have my belief in the Bills is strong slightly, but I think I won't fully have faith in them until they beat the Chiefs this week. Fair. And number, number, um, number, number, you know, man, Time is a precious thing. Just ask the Cowboys thing. Oh man, it's it was bad. Like I, I'm sure you probably saw the TikTok of the video, and it was this girl who was like filming her dad like throughout the game, and. I can only imagine. I'm pretty sure that's how every Cowboys fan reacted. Like, it was because you and I both picked the Cowboys to lose, but just in the fashion that they lost and just how disappointing they looked, it was it was shocking. I'm excited to hear your thoughts on the Cowboys a bit later. But speaking of hearing our thoughts, let's go ahead and talk the, all, the most impressive, most disappointing, and our rookie of the week starting um, for me my most impressive player goes to Josh Allen admittedly I've been a bit hard on Josh Allen this season 
But this was the first time this uh, season where he's really shined to me and looked like the superstar that he was billed and paid to be this offseason. Led the Buffalo Bills offense to the first ever perfect NFL game, 21-25 passing, 308 passing yards, five touchdowns, also had 66 rushing yards. I mean, Josh Allen and this Bills offense really could not have asked for a better game, especially considering who they played against. And don't forget one broken ankle. Exactly. Boy, that move, I don't, I forgot who it was. You, Christian Barmore. Was it Chris? I thought it was a DB. Nah, he ran over, he ran through Christian Barmore, which I was shocked by. Nah, I'm talking about when he broke the dude's ankles on the arm, um, when he rolled out, and the dude was in front of me, hit him with the boo boo. Okay, yeah, no, that was a DB. Yeah, that was nasty. But my, my own most impressed player is also Josh Allen for everything that you just stated, and it's, it's one of those things where it's like, you know, this is the type of stuff that you need to prove your worth in the NFL. You need to go on lengthy playoff runs. I have I have my belief in him and has ticked up some more, but like I just stated earlier, I won't truly believe in Josh Allen until he beats Patrick Mahomes because Patrick Mahomes has been scripting like his whole career. Right. But for now, he's the guy. Absolutely. All right, moving on to my most disappointing player. I couldn't even go with the player. I just had to go with the Patriots collectively. In my history of watching football, this is probably the most embarrassing loss I have seen the New England Patriots take. Don't get me wrong, the Bills are a good team, but we've seen Bill Belichick script and uh, game plan his squad to go up against these good teams, and they just, nothing worked. Defensively, it was a terrible game. Nothing seemed to be going their way. Um, offensively, Mac Jones didn't – he wasn't the biggest problem, but their lack of weapons really showed. They just couldn't compete on the scoreboard. So, overall, I was just incredibly in- disappointed by the Patriots. Okay. I would say the um, – I'm going to be honest. I'm going to say Dan Prescott. I think that given the fact that he was on the comeback trail and they were looking – it was looking like they were going to come back and win that game. And just for him to have that blunder towards the end of the game, whereas I understand, you know, people are saying, like, why did you run it? I don't have an issue with him running it. I think it's one of those things where people have to understand, like, you have – he. I think he's fought for some extra yards that he didn't. The time didn't permit him to need him. Right. So he could have dropped down, let the clock be set, clock it, and then ran another play. But I think that was just a, a mental blunder by uh, by that. So I got to go with that. That's fair. I mean, he was definitely up there in terms of being a disappointment. Low key, the whole offense for the Cowboys was. All right. And then my rookie of the week, you've heard his name all season. You're going to hear it again. Jamar Chase. Balled out against the Raiders, had nine catches for 116 yards, second most of the weekend, only behind Mike Evans, who had 117. I mean, Jamar Chase does it all, and I don't anticipate that stopping until the season is over. So, Jamar just it, – it, for me, it couldn't have went anywhere else. Yeah, it was definitely Jamar Chase. I mean, if I'm not – like, Matt Jones had an okay game, but he's the only rookie that really stood out in the playoff in the first round so far. So – 
All right, so let's go ahead and move on to some news because quite a bit happened, starting off with some coaching and front office changes. Most of the firings, as we all know, usually take place on Black Monday, but some teams decided to wait. For example, Raiders decided to fire general manager Mike Mayock after their wild card loss. Texans fire head coach David Culley. Um, they're currently doing interviews. Seahawks fire defensive coordinator Ken Norton Jr., um, this isn't a firing, but I thought it was an interesting talking point following the Bills loss. I mean, Bill Belichick and the Patriots lost to the Bills this past weekend. A reporter asked if Belichick would be coming back in 2022. Belichick seemed pretty certain that he was going to be coming back. But Ethan, in your opinion, how close do you think we are to the end of Bill Belichick's reign of terror on the NFL? How many more years are we going to see him as the Patriots head coach? Because truthfully, I don't – I'd be – I wouldn't be shocked if this upcoming year will be the last one. Yeah, I was going to say, I definitely see it probably just me a year or two. I think he, he he's a guy that might want to try to squeeze out another championship, and if he's able to, and I can see him saying, but I definitely will say within a year or two, I can see him retire. Do you think that they'll – okay, realistically, how far do you think the Patriots go next season? Like, let's say they just keep their core roster as is. How far do you think they go? I think they can go at least to the second round because I think you have to look at it. Mac Jones will have a year under his belt. He'll have another offseason. So he'll probably have some internal development. You also have the weapons and things on their team more accustomed to this game. Like – I'm a big, especially after what I've seen with the Grizzlies, I'm more prominent to being a big eternal growth guy right. instead of like trying to shake up your roster. And I think they build like they, if you keep their core intact, I think they could at least make it to the second round. And then once they make it to the second round, that's when they might run into some issues. Excuse me, run into some issues because of lack of experience in certain positions. But I just, I don't see them like making a big big run. I can see that as well. I think that what was a really big driving force for them throughout this season was they had a very strong run game and their defense was playing lights out. As we saw this past weekend, when those two things were not clicking, it was not working. Um, kind of talking about Mac Jones, I do think that Mac Jones definitely has the chance to develop and get better. Hopefully they will be able to bring in a few more weapons for him. And then, like I said, their run game's pretty much figured out. And their defense has some really nice pieces. Matt Judon was great for them. Um, Devin McCourty, if he comes back, I mean, he's a proven veteran. If they can bring back J.C. Jackson, that'd be great too. So, yeah, I'm in agreement with you. I think, like, at worst, maybe – uh, fighting for a wild card spot, but best, I mean, I could see them making it to the second round of the playoffs. But all right, let's go ahead and move on to a team that did not make the playoffs, the Atlanta Falcons, who, let's be honest, this season was not one to remember. One of the biggest reasons for that was because of Calvin Ridley. Early in this season, the star wide receiver decided to take some time off um, to work on his mental health, which Hey, us at the X Report, we totally understand. Um, ended up not playing a game after playing against Miami on October 24th. While it seems that the Falcons are still a team in flux, one of the biggest moves that they could make would be to trade Calvin Ridley as both are kind of hoping to get a fresh start. So with how the offseason is shaking up and how many teams are going to be in the market for a wide receiver, what team do you think will probably be the one to pull the trigger for Calvin Ridley and which one would be the best fit? Um, I think the team they will pull the trigger because they have the cap space of the Miami Dolphins. I think they have Eric Whittle and they have Mike Gesicki, but outside of those two um, guys, 
happen, I would say the Packers. I don't think it's possible because of their cap space. But if it's possible, I would definitely say if the Packers, if they could, if you could go to the Packers and somehow they convince Aaron Rodgers to stay, I'm saying Green Bay. In terms of who I think should pull the trigger, I would say Philly. I mean, they got three first-round picks. We we clearly know um, Jalen Rager is not the answer. Devontae Smith is cool, but you still got to get him some more. Uh, Jalen Hurts, more weapons out there if he really is going to be your starter. And why not go for a guy like Calvin Ridley? We know he's a technical route runner. He's a very good receiver when he's on the field, and especially if he's looking for a fresh start. This could be the fresh start that he could uh, be hoping for. In terms of where I think would be the best fit, honestly, I think that he would be a really nice fit with a team like the Chargers. Be reason being, um, Mike Williams is more than likely going to be out the door. He's a free agent. He earned himself quite a bit of money. As of right now, I don't know the Chargers cap situation, but I don't know if they'll be able to pay him as much as other teams will be able to. Um, and so with regards to that, why not get two of the best route runners on your team in Keenan Allen and Calvin Ridley? I think that we know that Justin Herbert is a star, and he just continues to develop each season. I think that by comparing – pairing him with an even better target in Calvin Ridley and Keenan Allen. I mean, you're creating a pretty dangerous group in L.A. All right, let's go ahead and talk one more rumor before we play Believable or Buffoonery, and we're going to talk Brian Flores, a.k.a. the hottest name on the head coach uh, coach search. So, as we all know, Flores was unjustly fired by the Miami Dolphins and still has yet to be hired by a team. However, it seems that one of the biggest reasons why he has not been hired yet is because he has been conspiring with Deshaun Watson to get on the team together. Reports have come out that Miami, during Flores' time in Miami, he really wanted Watson. And one of the biggest reasons why Deshaun wanted to play in Miami was to play for Brian Flores. Now that both are still kind of in limbo, who's to say the combination would not happen? So, Ethan, this is another two-parter. One, do you buy into the rumors that they want to be together? And then two, what team do you think would be the best fit for them? Um, to answer the first question, I do believe they conspired to be together because I think that once the Deshaun trade rumors popped up, it's like it was a whole carousel and no one knew what was going on. And then, like, out of nowhere, at least in my opinion, out of nowhere, like, the front runner was Miami. And I know a big thing that, um, a big thing for, um, for Deshaun Watson was she said he wanted to play for African-American head coach. And, I mean, at the time, if I'm not mistaken, the only African-American head coaches were Mike Tomlin. Flores, Mike Tomlin and David Cooley once he got um, hired by the Texans. Mm-hmm. But he wasn't going to be able to play for Mike Tomlin. So the only logical answer was Brian Flores. Right. And so I do. I definitely think they both are conspiring. To answer the question of where, um, I'm going to be honest. This is going to be a really, really, wild, I feel like, wild answer. But I'm going to say the New York Giants simply because I think that their team is already set with talent. And they're also, I feel like they're a fan base that they can they can cancel out all the wild outside noises of like the legal litigations against um against Deshaun Watson. And they're also a big fan base that loves winning football. And you bring in Brian Flores who 
has contributed to winning football these past couple of seasons with, in my opinion, an underwhelming roster in Miami. You bring him into a team with like the Giants that has already has key pieces set in place. You're just missing a head coach, in my opinion. You're just missing a head coach and a quarterback. I think that it could be a really good fit. I agree with you in re- with regards to who I think that I think they do want to play with each other. I mean, Brian Flores, for by all accounts, was beloved by the team. Everybody really bought into what he was trying to do in Miami because, as we saw, it was working. They were still on the cusp of being a playoff team this season despite starting off the year 1-7. and seven. Um, So I could definitely see them wanting to get together because, I mean, if you're Brian Flores, I would take Deshaun Watson over pretty much, what, 28 other quarterbacks in the league right now, and that's – being generous so I'd much rather have a Deshaun Watson and his talent especially with the year rested as opposed to a year with an unproven quarterback or having to start over with the rookie and so since you said the Giants which was definitely a team that I was in agreement with you I'm gonna go a different direction I'm gonna say the Minnesota Vikings um first things first who tell me what quarterback wouldn't want to have Justin Jefferson Adam Thielen and Dalvin Cook on the same offense as them I mean, that is just a recipe for success for just about anybody besides Kirk Cousins. I mean, this is, what, his fifth fifth or sixth year in the system, and honestly, he's been pretty underwhelming there. I know that we talk about the numbers and blah, blah, blah. Statistically, he's not that bad. But in terms of wins, he hasn't gotten them. And I think that if I'm Minnesota, if you're telling me that if I can, one, bring in a respected head coach who I feel like can help make the team better, that's a plus. Then you're telling me I can bring in a transcendent quarterback talent, that's a plus. And all I got to do is trade Kirk Cousins, who hasn't been giving me what I've been needing for the last few years. I take it. And then if I'm Houston, I think that works out for them as well because instead of having to start over with the quarterback or maybe just kind of settling with Davis Mills, you get Kirk Cousins, who is a former Pro Bowl quarterback who's not the worst quarterback on the planet. So while I think that New York is definitely a great option and probably more realistic, if I was Minnesota, I would definitely try to get on that sweepstakes as well. But all right, let's go ahead, move on to our game of believable or buffoonery. You mentioned them earlier. We got to talk about the Cowboys. I mean, let's just say this past week's loss to the 49ers was not one that was went uh, very well in Dallas. From Mike McCarthy getting blasted on his decision-making to Dak Prescott having an underperforming game, it was ugly. And then, not to mention Dak Prescott's comments um, following the game, when the fans start to throw trash on the field and at the refs, to which when asked about throwing uh, the trash at the refs, he said, credit to him. He backtracked those comments, of course, saying, I deeply regret the comments I made regarding the officials after the game on Sunday. I was caught up in the emotion of a disappointing loss, and my words were uncalled for and unfair. That's all cool and all, but we know he's just trying to save face. I mean, Jerry Jones also spoke on it, said, when you get this combination of players together, you need to have success. So I know it's a lot that's been going on in Dallas, but – Believable or buffoonery. Under Mike McCarthy, the Cowboys will never be, quote-unquote, them boys. Believable. I don't. I, I think Mike McCarthy, he, he, a lot of his accolades came with the fact that he was a tech. He was the head coach of, at the time, the most talented quarterback in the NFL, and Aaron Rodgers. Like, in my opinion, there's no way that you have Aaron Rodgers as your quarterback and the slew of weapons that they've had over the course of his tenure there. 
and you only not only only win one Super Bowl, but only make one Super Bowl appearance. Like that Green Bay Packers team has had a it's been a it's, it had a lot of new talent on there to open the course of your like years of Mike McCarthy's tenure. I'm sorry, but I think that for them to make the next for the boys to get them boys, Mike McCarthy has to roll. And I don't know who they who they should bring in. Um, I have an idea who I would who I wouldn't mind seeing, but I don't have a true definitive idea. But I don't think Mike McCarthy's the answer. So, in your opinion, well, I I feel like if they were to fire Mike McCarthy, they already said they're going to retain him for a third year. But I think that if you if that he was fired, I think that it automatically becomes the best head coaching job. At least in my opinion, it, it takes the cake. But in terms of honestly, I wouldn't be surprised if for some reason they did fire McCarthy. I think that Dan Quinn, somebody who's already in house, would be a pretty good option. I mean, the team rallies behind him. He's gotten your defense playing the best that it has in the past few years. I mean, I would go with Dan Quinn and just stick with that inside hire, especially considering really the only other head coaching candidate that I'm I'm that excited about is Brian Flores. But that's that's just my opinion. Um, me, I'm gonna be honest. I would take a swing at Eric Bieniemy, and the reason I'm saying this is because when the Cowboys were at their best at the beginning of the season, their offense was putting up numbers. Right. And when they when they were at their worst and started to struggle, their offense wasn't looking the same. And we all know the off like Kevin Moore. He's a great offensive coordinator. To some extent, he has had some shaky moments in recent history, but. I think if you're able to bring in Eric Bieniemy, a man that we all know is office of genius, a man that you know has basically engineered uh, Kansas City Chiefs offense that everyone loves, I would bring him in because the Cowboys they don't have the like they don't have the weapons of Kansas City, but they also have explosive weapons in their own right. So right now, bring in a man, an offensive coordinator. I mean, an offensive-minded head coach that can pull into their offense and just create, like, chaos within their offense because, like you said, with Dan Quinn, he has their defense playing on, on point. And the reality of it is the Dallas Cowboys, they they became a defensive team over time throughout the course of this season. But, like, if you were to ask me, the, the strong suit still is their offense, like with the talent that they have on offense. I feel you on that. Um, but my only question to that would be, would Jerry Jones really hire a black head coach? And I think the answer – exactly. That would be – because Eric, everything you said about Eric B uh, would just totally make sense. Because like you mentioned, I mean, the strong suit for the Cowboys was their offense. I mean, with all the weapons and money they have tied into this team, you're damn right they better be great, a great unit. But unfortunately, they've been pretty disappointed at points. But I think Eric Bahimi would definitely have been a solid hire if Jerry Jones would actually do it. But all right, continuing on with the NFC East, let's talk about one of his teammates. I mean, one of uh, their division rivals, the Philadelphia Eagles, who after their loss to the um, Tampa Bay Buccaneers were still supportive of quarterback Jalen Hurts. Head coach Nick Serrani said, Jalen Hurts knows where he stands with us. He knows that he's our guy. That's all good and gravy, but believable or buffoonery, the Eagles are making the right choice moving forward with Jalen Hurts as their starting quarterback. Um, for the time being, I'm going to say 
I'm really torn in the middle, mm-hmm. but I'm going to say I'm more so pushed towards buffoonery because I think that Jalen Hurts, he does have some impressive skills, but I think the one thing that he lacks is he doesn't lack the accuracy that you need to be a starting level quarterback in the NFL. Mm-hmm. And that's a big thing because in today's day, like I understood that towards the little push towards the playoffs, they were one of the best, if not the best, wrestling team in the NFL. But I think once you get to the playoffs, you're going to have moments where you're going to have to pass the ball because you're going to go up against teams kind of like the Bucks who are built to stop your greatest strength. Like the Bucks were the best run defense this year in the NFL. Actually, fun fact, it was Baltimore. It was? Yep, we were number one. It's okay. We had to have something to be proud of, even though our secondary was smushed. while I'm not exactly sold on him as a passer, I do think that I want to see him get some weapons. I feel like he deserves at least another year to try to show what he can do. And if he has those same struggles that he's had in the passing game this upcoming season, if they are able to, like, pull the trigger on a guy like Calvin Ridley, or if they do draft some talent from, like, a Drake London out of USC or um, one of the receivers out of Ohio State, and they're still not able to get that – the most out of Hurts, and I think that they should move on. But, I mean, it's it's kind of a thing where the NFL is not as patient as it used to be. Teams don't have years to just kind of sit with a quarterback who's not producing. Because, I mean, we've seen several times some bad quarterbacks played their whole rookie contracts out before they were moved on from. But we're seeing in the NFL, you could be drafted in the top ten one year and then bounce the next year. That was Josh Rosen's situation. So, I think that on the one hand, I – I do question Jalen Hurts and if he's going to be able to really make those developments that he needs to in order to be successful. But I do want to see him get the chance to get some weapons. And then if it doesn't work, then you know to move on. Speaking of moving on, the Giants are still trying to get rid of, move past the Joe Judge, Dave Gettleman saga of this past season. And their owner, uh, Mr. Marr, talked about the situation and pretty much said that the futures of Daniel Jones is up in the air. It's up to the quarterback. I mean, to the new head coach. He also mentioned Saquon Barkley in that conversation. Now, you and I have both talked about it at length that the Giants really aren't going to go anywhere until Daniel Jones is moved. But what about Saquon Barkley? Do you think that Saquon Barkley will also be a piece that is moved this offseason? Um, I wouldn't be surprised if he was. I think he's still a very valuable asset. I think he, because of the offensive line this past season, he, he wasn't able to produce the way that I think we got going to him the most trade attention. But everyone knows that Saquon is still a great talent. Um, so if they were 
I'm not even gonna say a rebuild, but like look to upgrade, like say the quarterback position. I would say if that's the case, then maybe because like we've stated numerous of times before, as far as it comes down to the NFL, is you can find a you can find a good running back, and whether it's the draft or you can even get a veteran like a Mike Davis, and they could be serviceable for a year or two years till you actually find like a full-on young rookie stud that you like in the draft. So I wouldn't be surprised if they traded them, especially given the fact that they that they are um, kind of QB dependent right now to finding someone better, even though they're saying like they're going to leave it up to whoever the head coach is. If you get a competent head coach, then he's going to know that Danny Jones isn't the answer. Yeah, I mean – Exclude taking out my Saquon Barkley fandom, which is like get him out of New York as fast as you can, unless they get Deshaun Watson. Um, I think they should trade him. I think that he probably will be moved, mainly just because, as you mentioned, I mean, running backs come a dime or dozen. And we've seen that when Saquon Barkley has been healthy, he has really been a game changer and has really had those moments this season. But behind a bad offensive line and then dealing with certain lower body injuries, I mean, Saquon really hasn't been able to really showcase what he can do. And I think that Saquon is one of those running backs who does have name value attached to him. There are still teams that if you were to trade him that would be after him just because of the talent that he possesses. So I think that the Giants, they also are another team who have multiple first-round picks. I wouldn't be surprised if both of those go towards offensive linemen unless they trade him to get a quarterback or something. But – I don't know. I think I could see him being traded mainly just because I feel like the Giants are just trying to start over. I know that they've been starting over for the last several years, but I think that if they really wanted to just be like, you know what, we're just going to start from scratch um, and then maybe just bring in another veteran because Devontae Booker played well for them. Or, hell, they could try to be in the sweepstakes for Cordero Patterson who balled out, um, but I highly doubt Atlanta lets him walk out the door with just the year that he had. But, yeah, I could see Saquon being moved. All right, one last question before we make our picks for the divisional round games. Let's be honest. The NFL, it seemed like a good idea at the time last season to make it 14 playoff teams instead of 16 teams, including um, a seventh seed and having the seventh seed play the second seed. But this year was yet another example of it's not exactly working. This season's uh, seventh seeds, the Pittsburgh Steelers and um, fit. I'm sorry, I can't even talk. Uh, Pittsburgh Steelers and the Philadelphia Eagles were outscored by their respective opponents, the Kansas City Chiefs and Tampa Bay Buccaneers, 73-36, to which is starting to beg the question, is it necessary to have 14 playoff teams? So, believable or buffoonery, the NFL should go back to just 12 playoff teams. Believable. I think that you put if you're doing it, I understand from a money standpoint why you would want to do it but it's like you're putting out a bad product right like it's one of those situations to where you know it's the foregone conclusion because you know who's going to win those games and both of those games were a blowout and it could be a situation to where like next year or so forth you might have people being like well I'm not about to really tune into the game because I know you know I know the outcome. Obviously, you're going to have fans that attend the games because, like, it's a playoff game. You want to go to a playoff game. Like, I would do anything right now to find a way to get a ticket to this game Saturday, but unfortunately, I can't. But it's one of those things where it's like, you know, 
it's kind of like Thursday night football. I mean, yeah, Thursday night football to me. Whereas, I feel like it's a money grab, and it's not a good thought-out money grab because you don't have a good product on the field. Right. No, I totally agree with you. I think that, as you mentioned, like, and the thing is, it's not competitive. It'd be one thing if you had these seven seeds and they barely made the playoffs like the, the Steelers. They had to avoid a tie to even get in. But if they made it a competitive game, that would make it make more sense for them to even be there. I understand you want the extra money, the extra TV deal. It's all fun and games. You get the the Nickelodeon game and all that. But it's just, like you mentioned, it's not producing a good product because it's not like the upsets are taking place. And so I just think it's pretty much just giving the team the, hey, we made the playoffs just to get your, their butts kicked. So I think that it was a better format to just have the first and second seeds get the bye and then go from there. But all right, let's make divisional round game picks. And we're going to start off with your Tennessee Titans hosting the Cincinnati Bengals Saturday afternoon. This is tough. It's like the return of King Henry versus the receiving trio of the Bengals. And honestly, I'm going to go Bengals, mainly because I just I – I don't know if your defense can stop – can stop the Bengals' offense. I think King Henry has a big game if he's healthy enough to, like, go full throttle. But I got I got Bengals in a close one. Bengals by a field I got, goal. I got Bengals. I, I trust my I trust my front, my front four slash somewhere front seven. But I don't – outside of Kevin Bayard, I don't trust people. Increasing Fulton, I don't trust my secondary. Yeah. And when you play in a team – with that, with those receivers and the way that Joe Burrow is looking, that's dangerous. Now, on the other end, I don't really see the Bengals maybe slowing down our offense, which gives me some hope. But, yeah, you put, if, you, if it's a situation where Jack Rabbit Jenkins ends up on Jamar Chase, it's done though. It's barbecue chicken. Yeah, I'm taking Jamar every time on that. All right, another game that sounds good on paper, but I think we know the result. The San Francisco 49ers versus the Green Bay Packers. I got Packers. Yeah, I got Packers for sure. Kansas City Chiefs versus the Buffalo Bills. Name value-wise, it should be a banger. It should be probably the most competitive game of the weekend, but I'm going Chiefs. Yeah, I'm going Chiefs. Like I stated numerous times before, I won't please faith in the Bills until they beat all right, and then another great game. Honestly, this weekend is just going to be full of great games. Los Angeles Rams versus the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. If I could call an upset, this would probably be the one, if I'm not counting the Bengals as an upset. But I'm, I got a hard time going against TB12 as much as I want to. I got Bucks. I got Rams. I, I hope you're right. That, I think that the injuries that the Bucks have and just their sick, like their secondary is in Cooper Cup and a rejuvenated Odell. And another thing that we failed, we had, we failed to mention is Cam Akers. Yeah. This man came back from a torn Achilles, had 95 yards, caught a bomb from Odell, and like hadn't missed a beat. I think that all of that can play a part into. I think it'll be a really – I think the, the Bills and Chiefs and the Rams and Bucks are going to be the two most competitive games of the weekend. 
but I think the Rams are going to pull it out. Yeah, Sunday's got some good games. I also have something when I do my call outs. I got I got something for the Rams, but. Let's all right. Let's talk our offensive, defensive, and rookie players. We are watching this week. Starting off offensively, I gotta go. Derrick Henry, first game back since week eight. We know just how good the Titans' offense is when Derrick Henry is in the fold. I am very excited to see what all he is able to do. How much they're gonna use him? Because let's be honest, Ryan Tannehill this season really has not been trusted with the ball in his hands. So I'm sure they're gonna be excited to see what Derrick Henry can do now that he's back. Oh, yeah, for me, it's most definitely King Henry. Um, the engine of our offense has returned. We've had we've had good running games since he went down, but he's just a different – it's a different fish factor when you have 22 in the backfield. So I think that he's going to come back, and I still believe he's going to put up 100-plus yards. Oh, I think 100%. Yeah. And – I think it's going to help set up so many things where it's like, because like you stated with Tannehill, a big reason, I feel like a big reason why he didn't have his productive of the year is that Ryan Tannehill is a play-action quarterback. And, yes, we had we had good run games, but when you don't necessarily fear the running back nearly as much as you fear Derrick Henry, that play-action can kind of get set off. You can still get to him. But when you got 22 back there, and you think he has a ball, you're going to go to where you think he's going. Right. And you're going to get people open on the backside, which is we have a healthy Julio and a healthy A.J. Brown. Anthony Frazier is stepped up um, in the midst of those guys being injured, which is why I'm, I picked the Bengals, but it's like by the skin of my teeth picking the Bengals. Like I said, I think it's going to come down to a field goal, and right now I trust Evan McPherson more than I trust Randy Bullock. All right, so defensively, I'm watching Von Miller. I mean, let's be honest here. Von Miller, these past month or so with the Rams, he's really started to get things clicking. Him and Aaron Donald are looking like one of the most formidable uh, pass rushing duos in the league, as if, I don't know why I said that, like that's surprising. But on top of that, the Bucks are dealing with some offensive line injuries. There's the question uh, Mark attached to Tristan Wirfs if he's going to be able to play. Uh, center Ryan Jensen is another guy um, who may not be able to play. And let's be honest, this is not the defense I want to go up against if my offensive line is not healthy. We know how much uh, Von Miller likes sacking Von, sacking Tom Brady, and this could be a big opportunity for him not only to get those sacks but create some turnovers too. Oh, um, for me, I have I have two on the defensive side. Number one is Christian Fulton for the Titans, like we stated. He's the in my, he's the de facto number one corner in my mind when it comes down to our secondary. Absolutely. So I want to see him, and it's going to be an interesting matchup because he's going to be matched up against his old teammate. So that's going to be incredibly interesting. And my number two is Jalen Ramsey because we know how great of a corner he is and he's going to be matched up against Mike Evans. And, like, that's going to, in my opinion, that's the premier wide receiver DB matchup of the um, of the playoffs so far. And I want to see how that's going to look because, like we stated, Aaron Donald and Vaughn Miller, I feel like they're going to eat. They're probably going to eat regardless because Vaughn Miller is starting to actually look healthy. But I think that in order for um, the Rams to win, Jalen Ramsey is going to play, make a key play against Mike Evans that can swing the game. 
I could see that. I could definitely see that. All right, moving on my rookie I'm watching. Sticking with the uh, Titans backfield, I'm going Elijah Molden. He's been really solid in his rookie year. I know this was supposed to be Kayla Farley being the rookie corner for Tennessee that was stepping up, but Elijah Molden has been really solid since Farley has gone down. I don't know who he's going to be matched up against. If he's going to be in the slot, that means he's going to be on Tyler Boyd, who outsizes him by quite a bit. But it'll be an interesting matchup. I think it'll be a nice trial by fire for the rookie. And if he's able to create some plays, it will do wonders for this defense. Yeah, I'm actually going to go with Elijah Molden. I feel like I'm talking heavy, but I don't care. Yeah. Uh, I'm going with Elijah Molden as well because, like you stated, I think he is going to be slotted. He's going to be put in the slot, and that's going to be a group, a key position, especially on third downs and things of that nature. And he's shown flashes to be a really good corner, and I think that he's just going to progress. And hopefully he can make a couple plays that can swing the game in our favor as well. All right, so the team I'm calling out, the Rams. Like you, Like I said when you made the pick, if I could call any upset or if I could definitely pick a result – I want the Rams to win. I think that, don't get me wrong, TB12 is great. We know he's great. But, damn it, I want to see Odell and Matthew Stafford and Vaughn vying for a Super Bowl. It would just make my day. And so, Rams, just handle your business. You beat them earlier this season, and you did so without Vaughn Miller, without Odell. And let's be honest, the Ra- and at that time, the Bucks were at full strength. They're nowhere near it right now. So, Rams, go ahead, make it happen. much as I like Debo and uh, George Kittle, that's not enough for me to want them to beat the Packers. All right, let's go ahead and move on to the NBA. Ethan, what are your top three takeaways from this past week of action? Top three. Um, Draymond Green is greatly missed in Golden State. Um, the NBA is greatly disrespecting John Jackson Jr. as far as Ethan's a fair to your consideration. And um, Two out of three 
and the Cavs are the number one seed in the Eastern Conference. Right. And it's just wild to see how close the whole Eastern Conference is right now. I feel you on that. All right, let's talk our Mamba players of the week. Starting out of the Eastern Conference, I got to go with a bad, bad man, and that's Joel Embiid. Just last night, dropped 50 on the um, Orlando Magic. Kind of crazy. He needs to drop 50 on them to win, but that's not the point. Um, and really has just been balling. I mean, we talked about it last week since he uh, came back from COVID. He's been on an absolute tear, and I think that he's looking like one of the best players in the NBA, especially with all the injuries that have come been taking place. I think that his name should definitely be included in the MVP conversation. Yeah, I'm in agreement with Joel and B. I think, like, I think since he's been back, he every game that he's played in, he's dropped thirty, and it's been nothing lower than thirty, which is wild. And you can just see, like, he's that rare combination of just sheer size because people fail to realize that Joel and B is the biggest starting center in the NBA, and then you have amazing skill. Like, it's a video that he posted on. Um, on his Instagram where he basically was showing how he was doing moves that Kobe and MJ and all these other great guards were doing. And it's like, this man is like a 72, 280 pound center doing these same moves that all time great shooting guards were doing. And I was like, bro, this is wild. So I gotta go with Joel and B. All right, moving on to the Western Conference. While I'm in total agreement with him that he should stop being in compared to Kobe Bryant, he is my Mamba Player of the Week, and that is Devin Booker for the Phoenix Suns. Now, that's another cat who's barely been on the tear. These past three games have scored at least 30 points, most recently dropped 48 on the San Antonio Spurs. I know that we're not talking about the Suns as much as we were, considering they were just in the um, championship game, but they are still the number one seed in the Western Conference, and Devin Booker has played a major role in making sure that they stay that way. Oh, for me, I'm going to say, I'm going to say Luka. I think Luka, since he's come back from this um, injury, and I'm assuming really more so come back from, like, conditioning-wise, he's been a different player. Like I stated, um, I actually went to the game here in Memphis that we lost, and I was heartbroken because we lost because I wanted our win streak to continue. But, like, watching Luka live is one of the most exciting things ever because he does things so effortless. He does it with no else. I'm sorry. And, like, he just dropped 41 last night to beat the, um, who did they play last night? Uh, oh, dang. Because he was almost my mom, but hold on. So he knew that. They played, did they play? Um, shit, who did they play? Oh, the Raptors. 102 of the 98. Yeah. There we go. Yeah, he dropped 41 last night to beat the Raptors. And this isn't the Raptors team last year that was like a pushover. Like, this is a pretty good team. They had pretty good pieces. And he stepped up. So I got to go for at least for this week. I got to go with. Fair enough. He was definitely a close second for me. And then my rookie mamba of the week. I'm going to show some love to A.O. Dustin Moo, rookie for the Chicago Bulls. And his first real action. I mean, he's been playing really well in this past three-game stretch. Um, dropped a trip, a double-double against the Celtics, dropped 21-10, to 
another double-double against the Grizzlies, 15 points, 10 rebounds, and then 18 points, and almost another double-double against the Cavs. I mean, with the more playing time that this kid is getting, the better he's overall looked. And we're showing why he was one of the most exciting players to watch in college basketball a year ago, and I'm excited to see how more the Bulls are going to keep ingraining him to the team. I totally agree with that. All right, let's get to some NBA news, starting off with the one of the biggest finessers in NBA history. Chandler Parsons, this early this week, announced his retirement from the NBA. Um, in a statement on social media, he thanked organizations like the Houston Rockets, the Dallas Mavericks, Memphis Grizzlies, Atlanta Hawks for giving him opportunities. Um, but he decided that he was it was time to call it a career. So congratulations to him. Good luck to him in the next endeavor. But man, he really did jip the Grizzlies out of a whole lot of money. Which Yeah. Like he really could have just put a small portion below this day. I'm really not thanking the Grizzlies for opportunities. I'm thanking them for a bag. Right. Cause they like, man, that's one of the that was one that's one of the most frustrating things that's happened in my fandom of being a of, of being a fan of the Grizzlies. Like, I understood the, like, the potential of their deal because when Chandler Parsons was healthy, he was a good small forward and he was a really good shooter. And that's something that we needed desperately. But it's like, man, y'all pay this man 90 M's and he basically only played out for like 30 games. Yeah. And didn't do much while he played. It was a it was a rough one, but congratulations to him. Wishing the best, yada yada yada. He low key should be paying Memphis back, but that's neither here nor there. All right, let's go ahead and talk some injury news. As I mentioned at the top of the show, it's been quite a few players who have gone down. For example, um, Damian Lillard had abdominal surgery and is while the injury is not expected to be season ending, he's expected to be out for at least the next six to eight weeks, where he will be evaluated. So, Ethan, in your opinion, has Damian Lillard played his last game as a Portland Trailblazer? Um, I don't think so. I think given the fact that he's having surgery, I don't think anybody's going to trade for him. Now, if he does, if he does decide to sit out the remainder of the season, I think he will. He has played his last game because I think once the offseason hits, somebody's going to pull their trigger. And I'm hoping it's Philly. If they don't pull the trigger, um, if they don't pull the trigger during his trade deadline and make a big trade, so you probably, either way it goes, I think the only way he will play another game is if he recovers from his injury before the season ends and he just like, you know, dang, he's a hooper. He just like I want to go out there and play, and he steps up and plays. Honestly, I think that. I I think he may have mainly because depending on where the season is right now, I mean when he gets back where the Trailblazers are, if they're like it's a bit too close to call and they're still kind of in the mix as a playoff team, I can see him coming back. But on the other hand, if they're at the bottom of the rankings, I have a hard time thinking that he's gonna try to come back. 
And if I'm one of those teams that want to trade for Dane Loki, I think this might be the best time just because his value may be a little bit lower just because he is hurt. And so you may be able to get him for a cheaper bargain than you would have when he was at full strength. So I could see it kind of going either way. But in this case, I think I'm going to say I could see him uh, moving on. But, all right, let's go talk about another one, another big one. Kevin Durant is expected to miss the next five to – I mean, four to six weeks um, after he sprained the, his MCL in his left knee. He's expected to come back at full strength after a period of rehab, but he is going to be out, which means that it is back to being the James Harden show. Now, when it was just James Harden, he did play very well, and in addition to that, Kyrie Irving will be in attendance for their away game. So what are you expecting out of James Harden with KD out of action? I think James – I think he's just going to step up and kind of play similar to what he was showing earlier this season when it was kind of the James Harden. So he was putting up really good numbers, and they were they might not have won necessarily won the game, a lot of games, but they were kind of winning games and staying afloat. And I think that's what's going to happen with the All Star. They had the benefit to it, to it, but at least this time is when they have away games, you will have Kyrie Irving there. Yeah. And that is to play some of the production that they had from KD. But I think it's just going to be a, they're going to look they're going to like, I don't necessarily see them making a drastic drop in the standing. But they might hover around at like three, four, five seed. And then when KD gets back and healthy, they might make a push to make it good too. And everything kind of goes back to normal. Yeah, I agree with you there. I think that. They'll definitely – they're not just all of a sudden going to just fall on their face. I mean, that's not why you bring in a player like James Harden, who we've seen be able to lead a team in the past, not in the playoffs, but in the regular season. And I think that add on top of that, you get Kyrie Irving back for home games and, hey, I mean, away games. And who's to say that they won't pay that fine and get him to come back full time? So I could definitely see that taking place as well. But I think that the Nets are going to be fine. Um, James Harden is just going to do what James Harden has done throughout his career, which is – be a baller and in order for that to happen I think that the Nets also have a roster now and have a lot more depth than they have in the past to where they'll be able to deal with KD being out all right let's go ahead and talk some trade news and rumors starting off with a three-team trade that took place um where the Denver Nuggets the Boston Celtics and San Antonio made a deal that sent um Honcho Hernan Gomez to the Spurs, Bryn Forbes to the Denver Nuggets, and then Bobo and P.J. Dozier to the Celtics. So out of this move, which new addition do you like the most? Do you feel like any team got significantly better, significantly worse? What are your thoughts on that? Um, I kind of like P.J. Dozier to the Celtics simply because he's another wing player that they can actually have in their rotation they can produce. Uh, I think the Bowl Bowl edition, that's still, it's a project, it's a project thing. Whereas I know a lot of people are mad at the Nuggets for like, hey, you see him when he gets on the court, he looks amazing. But it's also this thing of like, he only does it in small spurts. And we don't know if that's a sustainable thing throughout the course of the NBA season. But I think TJ Dozier is, it might not, will be affect the Celtics for the remainder of this season, but that could be something that they can help have to help build them, have building blocks for like future seasons and a good rotational piece. I can see that. Um, more than anything, I think I would like 
I think I like the Bryn Forbes part of it going to Denver. I know that right now he's not playing, but I mean he's still a solid player. I mean right now we know that guard play for the Nuggets really hasn't been there. I mean, Nikola Jokic called out his team for their inability to make their shots, and Bryn Forbes has been pretty solid um, throughout the season when he has been able to play. Um, so I think that that was a nice addition. Like I said, just bringing some guard play. You know that Jamal Murray isn't back at full strength. There ain't no telling really when he's going to be able to be back. Gary Harris is gone. So I like that move, but other than that, I don't think any of the any of them are going to be instantaneous impacts. I think that they're just kind of cap situations and just trying to move certain people off their roster to maybe make a play for bigger guys. But, I mean, none of these I think are like franchise-changing moves. But, I mean, we got to start somewhere, right? All right, speaking of a franchise changer, one of the biggest names um, is De'Aaron Fox as talks between he and the Kings are really heating up in terms of his trade interest um, with less than a month to go before the season. I mean, Fox talked about the struggles with this team to Yahoo Sports and honestly hoped that he kind of would be moved and said, you definitely think about potentially being traded because we're struggling. And the Kings have been struggling. So I know we've talked about De'Aaron Fox and the possibility of him being traded quite a bit, but if he is on the market, who should be the one to make that move? What would be the best fit? Um, a part of me wants to say Philly, but I don't. I think Dane would be a better fit in Philly. Um, I don't know if they're necessarily looking for a, a point guard, but I would say the New York Knicks because – I think something that they're missing is this. They have Kimball, they have D. Rose, but they also are missing another key player. Like Julius Randle and um, RJ Barrett, they're good, but they can be inconsistent. And why not potentially find a way to bring in a third party if you can potentially have a big uh, um, big three of your own with De'Aaron Fox, um, RJ Barrett, and Julius Randle. That'd be definitely an interesting one to watch. I just wonder who would have to be moved in order for that trade to happen. I mean, with with De'Aaron, it's kind of it's kind of hard to figure out where he would fit. Just because he's like, like you said, I mean, Philly would make sense, but I think that they need a more amp shooter, and that would be Damian Lillard. So I think that that would take away probably like one of the best fits for him. I'm trying to think of, like, a winner that he could potentially go to. And, honestly, like, it's hard to really really think of one. I mean, I think a team that I would – I think it would be interesting to see him on the Utah Jazz. One, we know that Mike Conley is kind of on his last legs in terms of being a starting NBA point guard. And who's to say he won't retire at some point. And I think that with – kind of the youth movement that the Utah Jazz are trying to implement with Donovan Mitchell if he does stay long term. I think that he and De'Aaron Fox will create a really interesting backcourt. And then, of course, you factor in Rudy Gobert in the post. But, I mean, realistically, I mean, outside of the 76ers, I don't I don't really got anything. I don't got a team that just instantly sticks out as, like, this is a perfect place for him to go, especially just looking at if he wished to go to a winner. But speaking of a team looking for a winner, it seems like they are the 76ers 
we all know. The Ben Simmons trade has not happened yet. Questions remain if it's even going to happen this season. But some reports are saying that they may be waiting it out for James Harden. Um, it was. It must be noted that there is enough noise circulating league-wide about Harden's reported openness to relocating this summer. Now, while it may not seem a bit crazy to see the fact that James Harden may want to leave Brooklyn this offseason, do you think that the 76ers are playing a bit of hardball with regards to trading to Ben Simmons because they think that they can get James Harden in the summer? Yeah, I think like I think they're playing the game with fools though, whereas like it sounds good, but it can also bite you because you with each passing week you it's like the value I'm not gonna say the value, but I feel like with each passing week the suitors that might be in the business and shoes states might be jaded in a way where it's like, hey, you know, like we're offering you good pieces, yada yada yada, but you don't want them. And it's just, it's just weird because it's like if you really want this man off the roster, like I understand you want another superstar piece, but it's like, hey, you can get, you never, I feel like the reality of the NBA is you're never going to get equal value for a player regardless. Like if you're trading Ben Simmons, you, the reality is you might not get equal value to Ben Simmons back, but you should get. You should look at the value that you can get. And it's one of those things where if I'm the Knicks, I wouldn't necessarily be quick to jump to the trade for Ben Simmons trying either because I don't think Ben Simmons is a good fit in um in um New in York. Brooklyn. Yeah. Like, because I think the thing of it is like you where you like you put him at the four, but you need people around Kyrie James Harden and on uh, KD they can shoot that's why they brought in brought back Lamarcus Aldridge and put him in center because he can shoot right. and you can open up that lane and then you bring in Ben Simmons you're going to have him run like you can have him run the point but then when you put the ball in KD or Kyrie's hands and they make the play and then the defense collapse on them and they kick it out if Ben Simmons doesn't shoot then what are you going to do from there in other words, just be mad about it. And because it's Brooklyn, they're probably going to voice their frustrations about it. Yeah, I don't necessarily love the fit of Ben Simmons in Brooklyn because I think that we think so much about, like, or at least from this standpoint, it's like, oh, well, how would James Harden fit with the 76ers? How would he fit with Embiid, yada, yada, yada? The real question is, how is Ben Simmons going to fit with KD in the Nets? Yes, we know that KD is a monster. KD can ball out Kyrie Irving, same token. But Ben Simmons, like you mentioned, he's not a shooter. And what has helped the Nets have success is they're a team constructed of shooters no matter what position they play. So would his presence kind of throw off what they've been trying to build? And I think that answer would probably be yes. But all right, let's go ahead and move on to our game of believable or buffoonery, starting off with Anthony Davis. As we all know, this year has not exactly been the best for the Lakers, nor Davis. And some former Celtics greats had some, had some comments about it. Um, in a conversation with uh, Kevin Dur between Kevin Durant and Paul Pierce, they talked about Anthony Davis. And Kevin Durant, I mean, Kevin Garnett said, I thought AD could take some pressure off LeBron. He's went the opposite, in the opposite direction. So, believable or buffoonery, once LeBron retires, 
And well, let me rephrase that. Anthony Davis has not proven to be the future of the Lakers once LeBron James retires. I think there's some truth into that. I think depending it's really more so about the situation and the standards of the Lakers organization. Like this is the team and an organization that they want to play for a championship. And especially in recent years, once you added LeBron and you added A D and like they've been in that conversation. But I think once LeBron retires, I can see the Lakers going back to being a situation that A D was in when they were when he was in New Orleans where they they weren't that good and he was your best player, but they just weren't that good of a team. Yeah, I agree with that, especially because, I mean, as we all know, the best ability is availability. And unfortunately, as talented as Anthony Davis is, he has not been available in any season of his NBA career. And that can be frustrating, especially for a team like the Lakers, who are used to vying for championships. And if you have to worry about your top player being out several games a season or several weeks of the season – you're not really going to have as much faith in them. So I could see the Lakers possibly making some changes the closer it gets to LeBron's retirement, which we all know is going to come at some point. All right, let's go ahead and move on to the All-Star Game, which former head coach Stan Van Gundy had some pretty critical thoughts of, more specifically to NBA fans. The NBA All-Star Game is for the fans. But come on, folks, Clay ahead of Booker, Carmelo ahead of Cat and Gobert, Kyrie and Rose ahead of Van Vliet and Garland. Do better, NBA fans. And what... Uh, what Van Gundy was talking about was the latest announcement for the second fan returns, which, unsurprisingly, it's a popularity contest, which keeps out some of the top players. One of those top players that you mentioned earlier, Darius Garland, got a lot of uh, pop from a player like Donovan Mitchell as well and saying Darius Garland deserves to be in an all-star game. I think a night like tonight when they played each other, uh, he didn't shoot well, and he still had a major impact on the game. What he's doing right now is next level. So, believable or buffoonery, NBA fan voting for the all-star game misses the mark about what the game is supposed to be about. Yes, it does. Like, the all-star game is supposed to represent the tempest, uh, with 20 best, not 20, uh, 30 best players um, in East Conference. I mean, in the NBA at the time, you have the, what, 15 best players in the East, 15 best players in the West, and you have to play against each other. And that's for the guys that perform in the early part in the first half of the season. It's not the whole, like, I understand Clay. I don't understand Clay because it's like you're voting this man to the all-star game and he hasn't even played in the in the uh, a game yet. It's just the nostalgia so, of it. Yeah, and I think there's something that maybe the NBA should try to do a better job with um, policing, whereas if it's a player that, that's been injured and he hasn't played, why is he even eligible to get votes for it anyway? Right. Like, if I were doing it, I would, like, um, no offense to Clay, but I wouldn't even have you as an eligible vote getter because you haven't played a uh, prerequisite number of games to receive votes. Right. And, like, but yeah, like, it's ultimately what you said. Like, the fan voting is just a um, popularity contest, and there's a lot of talented guys that get left out. I mean, even for me, when the first one came out, they had Luca ahead of job. And it's the 
only backcourt player. And I'm like, yo, this is wild. Because, like, Luca wasn't even, he was good, but he wasn't Luca, Luca. Right. And he was injured for the majority of the first, uh, for the portion of the first, um, for the first fan vote came out. Luckily, it's been corrected, but, like, it's just one of those things where, like you said, it's a popularity contest, and whoever wins the popularity contest, they get a majority of the votes. Yeah, and I think we see that in all sports. I mean, with the NFL Pro Bowl, there's a lot of conversations about players who should make it as opposed to players who don't make it just purely from a talent standpoint. But, I mean, unfortunately, fans are going to root for their favorite players, regardless of what their stats are. I mean, hell, Kobe Bryant's last season in the NBA, Kobe got in there because it was his last season. Statistically, should he have been a starter? No, but he's Kobe Bryant. You're, you want to see him in that last season. We've seen it many times before, and it's just it's just a popularity contest. And unfortunately, the players who deserve that more recognition and could get more recognition from playing this game, like De- uh, Darius Garland, like DeJounte Murray for the Spurs, they're not going to get it just because they're not fan favorites, which does kind of suck. But all right, let's go ahead and move on. Last question, and it comes from the words of Dwayne Wade, who had some very interesting comments about the GOAT conversation, who said, we're not going to be the ones having a conversation about the GOATs. Now it's going to be the younger, younger, younger generation. They're going to forget about Jordan like we forgot about Kareem. While at the time the quote seemed pretty controversial, but believable or buffoonery, we are just a few years away from Michael Jordan no longer being considered the greatest of all time. I think it's believable. Um, I think my generation, your generation, like a lot of the guy, a lot of the people in our generation, we don't consider Michael Jordan the GOAT. And the reason being is we never saw that man play a game of basketball. Like, yes, we saw highlights. We've heard stories. We've watched the last dance that, um, illuminated his greatness, but it's a difference when you watch, when you're able to watch people in the midst of their prime. Right. Like for me, it's, I'm in this weird, I'm in this beautiful, weird position of I've basically seen LeBron's whole entire career from the moment he started, and I've also seen Steph Curry's whole entire career up until now. And it's one of those things to where it's like, you're gonna have younger you have younger fans now that are growing up that are like, you know, that are kids and they primarily only seen Steph in his career. And they don't like, because you think about it now, the same thing could be said about Kobe and LeBron. Right. Whereas in the next couple of years, you're gonna have kids that has never really has never seen Kobe play and you might have kids that seen like the latter end of LeBron's career, but they've seen all of Steph's career, and for them, Steph Curry might be their go. So it is, I feel like it is true because the thing of it is like, I don't, as time has gone past, I don't like the whole term go or greatest of all time because the thing of it is, is time is an infinite thing. Like it's different if it's finite where you can just cap, where you can just cut it off and then it's like, okay, from this point to this point in history, period, this is the greatest player in the game. But time is something that is everlasting, like it's continuous. And with each passing generation, you have a player or a group or a number of players that people consider the coach. Like, so I agree. 
Yeah, I hear you. I agree as well. And I don't think it's any disrespect to the greats that we've had, but like as like um, Dwayne Wade mentioned, I mean, Kareem for a long time was considered the GOAT. Magic Johnson was another guy considered the GOAT. Will Chamberlain. However, it's hard to really speak on something that you never experienced. While, like you mentioned, I mean, I didn't grow up watching Michael Jordan. I grew up watching Kobe. And so whenever I have the GOAT conversation, I always say Kobe Bryant is the greatest player I ever watched because I can't speak on stuff that I have not seen. And so because we're getting past the player, the people who have seen Michael Jordan play, they're not going to have those same opinions. Right now, LeBron is the popular name in the GOAT conversation, but who's to say we're not a few years away, like you said, from Steph Curry being in that GOAT conversation because we're always starting to see him being considered probably the greatest point guard of all time. And so, as you mentioned, time is just an infinite thing, and so it's hard to really just kind of pinpoint all time who's going to be the GOAT because people can't speak on stuff that they didn't experience. So, yeah, I think it's definitely believable. And, of course, the older generation is going to be changing that conversation or they're just going to be like, well, Michael Jordan's the GOAT, period. And they're not going to really open their minds or really watch other guys because they're content with Michael being their GOAT. And that's fine because, I mean, if you see greatness – it's going to be hard to get greatness out of your mind. So, But, no, I think Dwayne Wade definitely has a very valuable point. But, all right, let's go ahead and make our nightly game picks for tonight. Pretty easy night, only three games taking place, starting with the New Orleans Pelicans versus the New York Knicks. I got Knicks. I got Knicks. Phoenix Suns versus the Dallas Mavericks. Two great players, Devin Booker, Luka Doncic. This is going to be tough, but I think I'm going to rock it out with the Suns. Yeah, I got this on. And last but not least, Indiana Pacers versus the Golden State Warriors. I know Draymond being out has affected the team a lot, but I'm still going to rock with the Warriors. Yeah, I got Golden State. All right, that is our show for this week. Thank you guys so much for listening. As always, please be sure to check out the export.net RP, the export.net for exclusive sports content written by yours truly and fellow export writers. Pre episodes of our lovely podcast and our YouTube channel entitled. The X Report. Ethan, anything you got to say before we close out this bad boy? Uh, no grease, no job for uh, All Star. And no Titans. Hopefully, we can pull out a dub, even though I'm hella nervous about it. Um, none of my teams are really playing. Either they're not playing or they're not playing well, but you know. Lakers, we'll, we'll get it together at some point. Frank Vogel, if you get fired, honestly, you're just a scapegoat, and I'm sorry it had to be you, buddy. And um, my LSU Tigers are balling, so regardless, win, lose, or draw against the Titans, Joe Burrow, Jamar Chase, Christian Fulton, Devin White, you know what, I'm not going to go through every single LSU Tiger in the playoffs. Just ball out. long as my LSU Tigers look good, and of course Odell, I wasn't going to forget OBJ. I'm happy. But thank you guys so much for listening, and we'll see you all next time.